Remain standing, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. I'm always so grateful for you guys. Grateful as well for those who put up the wonderful Christmas decorations for the month of December. I enjoy uh, seeing them, they, uh, and so I hope that they've been a blessing to you as well. And, uh, Exodus chapter 15. It's on page 57. If you would like to, uh, if you don't have a Bible, would like to use one from the church, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. Grab that and turn to page 57. While our passage this morning will take us all the way over through verse 36 of chapter 16, we're just going to begin at verse 22 in chapter 15 and read over to uh, chapter 16, verse 12 for now. We'll pick up the rest, Lord willing, as we as we go along. Uh, This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Beginning in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Uh, They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink uh, the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, They named it Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 uh, palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had all died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you have grumbled against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you have grumbled against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Teach us, Father. Show us wonderful things about yourself now through this portion of your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, they've, they've moved on from the Red Sea. And uh, now as they begin their journey uh, toward Mount Sinai, uh, in our reading this morning, there's a, a couple of different episodes. Uh, and yet... Each of these episodes, you notice as we've, as we've read them, um, there, there are a couple of matters that link these two episodes together. And at the end of chapter 15, um, the, the, the incident was uh, the matter of good drinking water. I guess all that singing had made them thirsty. But, and then in, in chapter 16... Really, all the way through the chapter, although we didn't read that far, but the, the matter is a matter of uh, ample food supply. And yet, in each episode, the lack of good drinking water and the lack of ample food supply, the, the Israelites grumble. Two things I want us to note this morning from this passage. They're, they're there in an insert in your bulletin, if that's helpful to pick that up and follow along that way. Otherwise, just... Just listen as we make our way through the two points. The first point is the grumbling that was directed toward the Redeemer. And we'll spend the most amount of time, most likely, on that first point. Probably two-thirds of our time will be on that one. And then we'll look at the grace displayed from the Redeemer. We'll look at verse 24 of chapter 15. This is the, in the context of uh, improper uh, water supply, um, the, uh, the matter of grumbling kicks in. in verse 24, and the people uh, um, of chapter 15, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And then in verses 2 and 3, after the 
water issue has been resolved, we turn right around now and we have a second issue, and it's a lack of ample food. And so in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 16, what do they do? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, uh, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the first thing that these two episodes link together, uh, the one about lack of water, the one about lack of food, uh, is... Um, these two episodes reveal, and this is indicated by their grumbling, but they reveal an acute uh, spiritual blindness resulting from the human condition of sinfulness. You see, the real lack here is not lack of water and lack of food. That's a presenting issue. But that's not the real lack. The, the, I mean, because as we will see, the Lord is going to provide that pretty easily. No, the real lack in, in these episodes is the lack that the people of Israel have in truly, earnestly, genuinely seeing that the Lord is God. It's a, it's a lack of seeing. It's a, it's a lack of experiencing the Lord as God. The Israel is unable, incapable, disinclined to know that the Lord is God. That's not the, that's not the current operating posture of their heart. And so the Lord provides a test for them. The occasion for the test is a lack of water and the grumbling that ensues. The occasion for the test is a, a lack of ample food supply and the grumbling that ensues. And, and, yet, and, and yet the test is, is, is not a test on whether or not the Lord will provide. It's not a test for the Lord per se. In this case, um, which make note, next week Israel will test the Lord. But in this week, the Lord is testing Israel. Look at how he lays this out in the second part of verse 25 of chapter 15 and verse 26. After Moses tossed the log into the water so that the bitter water became sweet. I mean, think about it. They had just seen the Lord use Moses to take the water of the Nile and turn it into bitter blood. They'd just, they just seen that a month and a half ago or so. And, 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 and now, and now they, they're, just, they're just not seeing what the Lord is capable of doing so Moses tosses a log into the water, and it becomes sweet water. And it's in this context, then, that the Lord uh, describes the, the test that he now has for Israel. Then the Lord, second part of verse 25, then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. 
And there he tested them. Do you see what, what I mean by testing? Tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, give an ear to his commands, and, and keep all of his statutes, then I will put none of the diseases, i.e., none of the plagues that I just dumped on the uh, Egyptians, I, I will put none of those diseases or plagues upon you. For I am the Lord, and then he adds a, a, a new twist or fuller dimension of the meaning of the Lord. I am the Lord who heals. So the point of the test is not to test to see whether or not the Lord will be faithful. The, 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 the test is really a test of self-awareness of how the Israelites will be aware of the, the presence and work and faithfulness of the Lord in their midst. We, we see this operating um, even in the, in the next episode where uh, in verse, when they lack hunger, uh, in verse 4, of, uh, when they lack food, when they're hungry, in verse 4 of chapter 16, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, um, uh, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. See, each episode has grumbling each episode is defined by this matter of testing. Uh, I will test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about the timing of, of these two episodes and about this matter of testing is in each case, it talks about a statute, a rule, about his commands. It talks about how whether they will walk in his law or not. And what's interesting is we're not, we're not to Mount Sinai yet. We're not to Exodus 19 and 20 yet. The reason I mention that is because uh, uh, it, it is in those chapters, Exodus 19 and 20, a couple chapters away, uh, is it, uh, that, the, that the Lord begins specifically giving Israel his laws. We, we, they've not been given the full law of God yet, and yet the, law, the Lord puts a preliminary test in place that would importantly show or reveal things like how will Israel handle uh, the commands that the Lord will give? Um, I, I, will Israel truly follow the Lord? Are the Israelites going to be inclined to listen to the Lord? Do the Israelites trust the Lord? Do the Israelites truly see and experience that the Lord is God? Before we ever get to Mount Sinai, before we ever receive the full law of God, before we ever hear Israel say, all that you commanded we will do, we are chuckling when they say that. Because we, have, we, we will already see 
uh, how they are going to handle the commands of the Lord, how they are going to follow the Lord, how they are going to be inclined to listen to the Lord, how they are going to uh, truly trust the Lord, and how they will experientially see the Lord. This test, these tests, are for Israel to be self-aware of their relationship with the Lord. You, know, you remember one thing I've said from the get-go about the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is so much about how God intervenes in the life of Israel and redeems or rescues them out of Egyptian slavery. And, and yet, that's not the bigger picture in the book of, of Exodus. As important as that is, as key as that is, Israel's redemption is not the all-end-all in the book of Exodus. The all-end-all in the book of Exodus is that Israel and Egypt and all the world shall see, shall know, shall experience that the Lord is God. Israel and Egypt have, have, in a profound way, through the mighty hand of God in rescuing Israel from Egyptian slavery, have begun to see something of the beauty, the majesty, the glory that the Lord is God. And now, in these next episodes, over these next chapters, in route to Sinai, uh, they are being given additional um, indications and insight and displays that the Lord is God. And one facet of that learning that the Lord is God is that this God who wonderfully rescued us from Egyptian slavery, can this God be trusted in the day-to-day -day operations of our lives? Can He be trusted to provide the most basic essentials of our experience? Does He really know us and care about us? Well, the tests that the Lord is instituting here in terms of how clearly they see that the Lord is God is the tests on whether or not they will be inclined to obey the Lord and to listen to the Lord and follow the Lord and trust in the Lord and experience the beauty and the satisfaction of the Lord. Now, who were these tests for? Well, on the one hand, they were for the Israelites right here and right then and right there. And yet, in another level, all of these things were written down. And these tests are, are very importantly designed for us, the readers of this text. When you and I face experiences in life that hurt, that are painful, that are tragic, that are overwhelming, Not to add injury to insult, but it is always crucial as to how the Lord is in that moment testing us and refining us on whether or not we are listening and following and trusting and seeing Him. And we see from these episodes themselves some of the indications 
as to how Israel was doing. And of course, I'll just mention three. I'll mention, two, I'll mention the last two quickly. The first one I'll spend a little bit more time on because it's more pronounced. But um, the first and most obvious test that reveals how we live in the experience of seeing the Lord as God is what we do with this critter that the text calls grumbling. Grumbling, the text tells us, against the Lord. Now, let me first define the term. Um, Grumbling is more than a complaint or a dislike of our experience or our circumstance or our situation. No no one asks us, not even God, asks us to, to, to like unlikable situations and circumstances. Grumbling is more than disliking our situation or our circumstance. It's, uh, grumbling is not merely decrying our circumstance or our situation. Uh, grumbling uh, takes that matter of not liking our situation and it adds uh, a, a, another feature to it. Uh, grumbling has an accusatory feature added to it. Grumbling is more, in other words, than groaning. Grumbling blames someone for the circumstance and for the situation. Groaning, groaning is a fitting response to the sufferings, to the hardships, to the losses, to the difficulties of life. Early in the book of Exodus, as the Israelites were under the weight of Egyptian slavery, they were groaning, and it, we're told there that the Lord heard their groans. Uh, he, hear, he hears the groans of his people, and in that case, he dispatched how he dispatched Moses to provide a, a relief, a remedy to it. The other night, we were reading Psalm 22. It's a psalm of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and the psalm starts out uh, 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 depicting the life of our Lord. It's, it was a life of groaning. The Lord groaned before the Lord. He didn't grumble at the Lord. He groaned before the Lord. And Romans 8 reminds us that all of creation at this moment groans as we eagerly await our adoption, the consummation of, of our salvation. You see, uh, groaning is, is the response to difficult, hard circumstances and situations. Grumbling is different than that. Grumbling is never used in a positive way in scriptures. Grumbling is symptomatic of unbelief. In other words, let me differentiate this a little bit further. We groan because we hurt. We grumble because we're mad. We groan because we need God's help in our hardships. We grumble because we think God is no help in our hardships. 
we groan believing that God can change things. We grumble believing that God won't change things. Groaning is the sound. It is the response of faith in suffering. Grumbling is the sound, the response of unbelief in suffering. A month and a half ago, they were rescued from Egyptian captivity. A month and a half ago, they were redeemed unto the Lord. A month and a half ago, or less than that now, they were delivered from Pharaoh's vengeful pursuit. And now they are lashing out at God. The first test, if you would, played out for them and for us is where are we at on the spectrum of groaning and grumbling? One is a wonderful voice before our God. The other is a troublesome voice against our God. A second thing, I'll go do this quickly. Uh, the second thing that's going here, it, it dovetails with this issue of groaning. A uh, second uh, test or indicator of how they are seeing and experiencing that the Lord is God is the, uh, the, the delusional uh, evaluation of the past with a view to walk away from the Lord. Look, verses 2 and 3, it, it, it's just almost, it's tragically humorous. It's tragically humorous, and sadly, this is not the last time we will see this line deployed, but we saw it even in the first part of chapter 15. Uh, um, but, but they say in verse 3, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we would have died uh, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. That was all the good old days back in Egypt. Now, you guys have been with me most of the time in our study through the book of Exodus. Up to this point, have you read anything about Israel's experience in the book of Exodus that is truly reminiscent of the good old times? Hard work, forced labor, unfair treatment, oppression, pediatric genocide. The good times? Huh? Oh, that we could just go back there. Big pots of meat and lots of bread. Do, do, do you see? Do you, I mean, we need to be sympathetic at some point with this. I mean, do you see, do you, do you see what hurt and trials and difficulties do when they press in on us? We, we can grow, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we can grow delusional. They are in a current difficult situation, and, and in that difficult situation, this is true, today's hurts feel worse than any other hurts before. And, 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 and maybe there's some unrealistic expectations in play here. Again, we, we look at this sympathetically, not critically. Some Ill, unrealistic expectations that life as a newly freed people 
would also include freedom from all troubles and hurts. And they are learning that while they are freed and now belong to the Lord, while the Lord has redeemed them unto Himself, while they are truly free, they are not free from the, the troubles, the hurts, the difficulties of this present experience. And, and, and in a sense, what I see in play here is they're, 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 thinking, they're thinking, things were better before Jesus saved me. It was better without Jesus. Pots full of meat and lots of bread. See, it is, it is at that moment of acute hurt and pain when delusional thinking settles in and at that moment, we are tempted to walk away from Jesus. You're not the only one who's tempted to walk away in the difficulties. That's where Israel was at. And a second thing, a third thing, just quickly, a, 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 second, a third test is, is um, they, they were grumbling, they were delusional, and uh, they just still, even though the Lord's providing food and water, Meat and bread. There's a difficulty in carefully listening to and obeying the Lord. Why? Because they're not seeing the Lord clearly. They're not seeing that the Lord is God and that His faithful hand is with them to provide for them. And, and, and the difficulty that they, they have in listening to the Lord's instructions is seen even in the instructions He gives to them as to their daily allotment of quail and manna. Every evening, the Lord says, I'm going to provide you quail. Every morning, I'm going to provide you manna. And, and, and every day, I need you to gather just the portion that you need for that day. Except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, I want you to gather a double portion because that's going to carry you into the sixth day and over into the seventh day. Pretty clear instructions. Look at verse 19 of chapter 16. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over to the morning. So just take enough that you need for this day. Don't stockpile any till morning. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Or then on the sixth day, Look at verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left lay aside to be kept till morning. Verse 27, though, skipping on down. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. Uh, but they found none. Why didn't they find any? Because the Lord told them, you're not going to find any on the seventh day. They didn't listen to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Verse 29, 
See, the test. The, the test is revealed in their grumbling. The test is revealed in their delusional uh, perceptions. Their, 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 the test is revealing in, in their lack of carefully listening to the commands of the Lord. But let me move on. Let me go to the second point. The, the grumbling directed against the Redeemer, but now the grace displayed from the Redeemer. And to do that, I want to take us all the way over to the second to the last verse in the chapter, over in verse 35 of chapter 16. Uh, we just, in a sense, we're just fast-forwarding 40 years, in a sense, on this manner of manna and quail. The people of Israel ate manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land, and they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the, is the tenth part of an ephah. You, you remember the test explicitly given back in chapter 15, uh, verses 25 and 26? Uh, verse 26 in particular, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. In other words, if you just follow me, if you just obey me, if you just listen to me, if you just trust me, if you just see me, uh, then I am going to take care of you. In a sense, the, the confusing part of what I just read in verse 35 is for 40 years, the Lord is going to provide for a people who will continue to grumble. The Lord is going to continue to provide for a people who wish they could go back to Egypt. For 40 years, the Lord is going to provide for a people who will not carefully listen to his instructions. You get this? So what is the Lord's response to a grumbling, wishing to go back to Egypt, not listening to the word of the Lord people? For 40 years, the Lord faithfully provides. Though Israel never kept their end of the bargain. Behold the gracious hand of the Lord to provide for his people. When we are unfaithful, the Lord is ever faithful. Now, on what grounds or what basis do we account for this faithful provision upon Israel's life? They didn't earn that. They didn't merit that. Well, the basis for the Lord's 40-year, really goes way past 40 years, but 
we're just covering the first 40 years. But the, the basis for the Lord's 40 years of faithfulness to Israel, the grounds of that, the basis of that, the foundation for that, won't occur until after the first Christmas. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those um, who were, uh, redeem us from the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The basis upon the gracious, faithful provision of God in Israel's life, the basis upon the faithful provision of God even in our lives is found in the fact that Jesus came. He lived a perfect, flawless, completely righteous life in obedience to the Father. Jesus embodies a life of righteousness. If there is anyone who deserves to be well taken care of, it is Jesus. And yet Jesus at the cross experiences the worst of hell. And yet we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that something incredible happens. A, a gift exchange, if you would, at the cross occurs when Jesus is on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, having lived a perfect life, we are told that he exchanges at the cross our sin for his righteousness. We're told, Peter, Paul writes to us and says, for our sake, he, that is the Father, he made him, that is Jesus. So for our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The one who has earned the full and eternal blessings of God is Jesus. And the gospel teaches us that to have Jesus, to turn to Jesus, to belong to Jesus, is not only to possess Jesus, but it is to possess all of his blessings. The Lord is faithful and gracious to his people because Jesus has taken our sin and our curse in our place. Father, thank you for what you have done for us in and through your Son. Father, we're grateful as we marvel at your good, faithful hand in our lives. And Father, as we bring our time together to close this morning, we do so with grateful hearts. We do so knowing that you are good in all that you do. And for that, we are ever thankful. Father, as we end up this year and as we launch into a new year, Father, may we see the glory of Christ and may we rest in his faithful provision that you might be glorified in and through our lives. 
For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're